Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jim. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. I want to ask the question, here we are halfway through 2020, as just, uh, you know, it just leaves me shaking my head how fast time passes. I know I've talked about this before, but especially this year, this year has been like, uh, not like any other that I've experienced. I'm sure not like any other that you've experienced in which we've had a situation with the uh, coronavirus or the COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. Um, regardless of how strong it was or wasn't or what it was really doing or not doing, that it goes beyond the argument that it affected the way the entire world operates and businesses have been closed down and the economy has uh, felt the impact of this. And yes, there were people that uh, got sick and some died and um yeah, it's just been an incredible year. And then, of course, the uh, social unrest that followed and how it seems like the media just plays into this um, pitting people against one another, I guess. Uh, you know, some people say that it just comes down to um, ratings and the more that you're involved and plugged into um, different media outlets, the easier it is for them to show the numbers and show the time spent uh, watching, reading, viewing, whatever, and the easier it is to sell advertisements. And, and, and yeah, it's some world that we live in. But, you know, the Bible says that um, we're in this world, but we're not of it anymore. And the Bible talks about letting your light shine so that other men can see it, not putting it or hiding it under a bushel. And, you know, I think about this now that um, at, the, at the point that we're at uh, in time, and, and some people mentioned this to me that they remember saying 20 years ago that well, we're definitely in the end times now. And, and the statement that was made based on what they were seeing then pales in compare to what we are seeing now in, in which uh, just uh, families are divided, people are divided. It seems that the love of many, as the Bible says, has waxed cold. And this is one of the signs, of course, that the Bible says that we would see. So yes, you can tell the times and the seasons. It's impossible to tell where we are on, on the big timeline um, with complete 100% certainty. This I know, though, that uh, as just as we've said how quickly time has gone by, life is generally like that. The older you get, they say the time, the faster time goes. I really do believe that. And uh, whether it's because after you've been here for, uh, you know, two or three decades, I, I say, well, after three decades, that it just seems like certain things just repeat themselves over and over again. Um, it's the same kind of thing. It's just a different kind of packaging on it. But um, today I want to talk about a topic that kind of breaks away from this. And I feel like in my own life over the last several months, like that scripture, the Bible says that God prepares for us a table in the midst of our enemies. I felt like I've almost been in a new level of training of sorts for my own life and for the own path that I have yet to walk. And I think that God is doing that in a lot of people's lives. He's training you. He's uh, putting things in you and taking other things out. It can be very subtle, and sometimes we don't realize it's happening while it's happening. But then when we look back, we can see a pattern. 
that God is preparing you for something that's uh, yet to come. And just because it's not um, spectacular doesn't mean that he is not in these little pieces. It's almost like in the Old Testament where the Bible says that God wasn't in, in the midst of the whirlwind. He was that still small voice speaking on the inside. And uh, l- let me read this to you. This is from Matthew chapter 17. And this was the example of when Jesus was going through that uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, as the Bible scholars uh, like to refer to it as. He was up there and suddenly the Bible says his clothes began to shine. And um, uh, let me let me read that uh, uh, to you. It says, while he yet spake in verse number five, Matthew 17, five, a bright cloud overshadowed him. And behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, uh, hear him. And it says, when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and they were sore afraid. And, and this is an interesting thing. That there's so many facets uh, to the personality of God. And one of them is the power of God. God is a God of love. God is a God of hope. God is a God of faith. But God is also a God of power. And when he's present, you see all of these elements beginning to kind of like mix together. And it's said that the disciples were sore afraid. Well, how many times did angels appear to people? And um, the examples we see in the Bible and even in real life. And, and what's the first thing that they say? Be not afraid. You know why they say that? Because the normal response to something that is supernatural is... Um, something that's not the norm, is fear because you're talking about a natural human response. You're in a body and you're used to certain things. And if you see something, quote, supernatural that you don't quite understand, it's one thing if you see something that you understand. It's another thing when you see something that you don't understand. I can go into that in detail, things which happened to me that um, I was, quote, unquote, sore afraid for, of what I was seeing with my eyes at the time. And it turned out it was a, uh, a supernatural manifestation. Um, it, it was a sign. It was a guide. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. Well, that's also kind of what we see in the, in the book of uh, Revelation when John kind of falls at his feet like he was dead. And uh, it says, When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man, only Jesus. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, uh, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said to them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias has already come and they knew him not. Now, this is really interesting because this is the the issue that people have with prophecy. People don't understand, but yet they pretend like they understand. People commit themselves to beliefs that are wrong all the time. And this is an example of that. If if you would have, if the Bible scholars of that time, right, the, the, the scriptures hadn't been written down yet, but they were with the living word. So you can say that the word has always been around. It's just never been in print until a certain period of time. But both old and new. But Jesus answered again in verse 11 and said, Elias says, uh, shall come and restore all things. But I say that he's truly already come 
and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. This is the King James Version. Whatsoever they wished. We don't use that word listed anymore. But uh, likewise, the son of... Uh, Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. And then says, then the disciples understood that he spake to them of John the Baptist. Now, had Jesus not said that, and here you can see that, that scriptures oftentimes are symbolic. So when it says Elijah would uh, truly come first, it was talking, he was using an Old Testament prophet to symbolically foreshadow somebody in the what we understand now is the new covenant even though Jesus hadn't died yet but what we understand now in our time as being John the Baptist and and without that interpretation that Jesus I would say that this would be one of the other things that the people argue about all the time oh this hasn't happened yet yes it's happened and people do this with scripture and and that's why I have to say that sometimes you just have to if you don't understand something and all the pieces don't make sense. One of the things about people is that we, and this is true also of vision. You know what I mean about vision? They say that uh, when they map out a person's vision, like if you're looking at across the street, there's certain things that you cannot see because they're not visible in your peripheral. But what they said, and this is pretty interesting, is that the brain fills in what it cannot see. So in the brain, how the, the, the light goes through your eyes and you see something, but yet the brain is interpreting it maybe a little bit different and putting things in or filling in blanks in order to complete the picture. And they say that's true scientifically when they map out what a person's looking at versus what they're seeing. They're actually seeing more than they're looking at because the brain is adding missing pieces in to it. That's the best that I can explain it. And I've heard this many years ago for the first time. But uh, it's is that hard to believe? Uh, no, actually it isn't. But also when it comes to things in the Bible that people don't understand, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll fill in the blanks in order to complete the picture. And what they're completing is in an inaccurate picture. So it, the Bible itself says that now we're, while we're in this body, we see through a glass darkly, right? We see, we see the other side darkly, but then we'll see it face to face and we will know even as we're known. So, so by the way, I just looked that up. That's First um, Corinthians 13, 12, that we see through the glass darkly, but then in the future, face to face and we'll know uh, we know in part it says right there i know in part but then i shall know even as i'm known and and so the, the problem is is when we know in part pretending like we know in full because when we do that we draw a lot of wrong conclusions and and this is something that all of us do and because we don't like dealing with things in part we don't like saying that we don't understand things so we basically create answers that are good enough for the time until we find a better explanation going forward but the thing is sometimes we hold on to those false premises <laughs> you know sometimes i think we're not even asking the right questions a lot of the time now does that mean that we should just say oh you know whatever will be will be that's how some people deal with it but the bible specifically encourages us to ask seek and knock and that that is a lifestyle it requires some effort seeking requires effort have you ever lost something 
Do you know the difference between really seeking for something and just, you know, a casual glance? When you're seeking for something, you turn the whole house over, right? You look under things, over things, inside of things, all around. And sometimes you do it several times just in case you missed something. And that's the way the truth is. Because, again, if we see through the glass darkly, do you just give up? And say, well, yeah, we can't see everything, so let's just move on to something else. No, you do your best to maybe situate yourself a little bit different or, or look at something from a, a few different angles. And, and that's how we grow as people, and that's how we grow in life. Isn't that true? I mean, everything in life we learn multiple times. It's kind of like when you were in grade school and you have, like, say, like math and reading and subjects like that when you're in the first grade. When you go on to the next year, do you throw those topics away? No, you look into them even further and even further and even further, and you do that all the way through your school years, <coughs> excuse me, and then maybe even afterward, maybe you do that in, in some type of higher learning capacity in a university or something like that or, or courses or continued learning, and we, we try and figure out how to do things better. Well, I look at the truth of the Bible the same way, and so I've been in, in the spiritual school you might say, in God's school, in God's school of learning for 34 years come next month. And I know things now a lot better than I did then. But one of the things that I do know, and I, I'm sharing this in today's uh, podcast, is, and I wanted to talk about this in, in some detail, and I'm going to do my very best, was what would your, um, what would complete victory look like in your life? Complete victory meaning what God has for you. I don't believe that God is glorified until we win. And I believe the ultimate victory is uh, it, on the other side in heaven, of course. But uh, that's when you overcome everything. When you're actually there, you will have overcome death. You'll have overcome, I mean, just it goes on and on and on. But I believe there is overcoming right here, right now. And Jesus came to ignite the flame of victory in the here and now. And he does it for you the moment you call out on the name of the Lord. It's What does the Bible say? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what does the Bible also say? It also says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that's not really talking about like um, um, being afraid of God or running away and hiding. That's talking about the awesomeness and the magnitude and the magnificence of what has been done for us, of the work that was done on the cross, and of the treasure that we have inside of us through the Holy Spirit, right? The kingdom of God within you. Work out your salvation. We're working out in our daily lives what God has worked into us. That is probably about the best way I ever put it. But let's get back here to Matthew chapter 17 and uh, look at what happened. So what happened was, um, verse 14, it says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came uh, to him a certain man kneeling down and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, and oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often to the water. I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Now, that's a very interesting statement right there. Because if we go back in um, Matthew's gospel, let's see, Matthew uh, into the 10th chapter is when they actually began their uh, ministry. Let me show, let me just uh, jump back there. Matthew chapter 10, 
and let's see here. Let's look at uh, verse number seven. It says, and as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, there is the great commission given to them. Jesus gave them power. A few verses before, what does it say? It says, and when he had called unto him 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And that's in the 10th chapter. And then the commission to actually go out, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. He said, do all of these things. But then, and obviously they did, they did it. As a matter of fact, um, they came back to him and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. <laughs> and they were doing the ministry of Jesus. And to the best that I can tell, this is the first time they failed to get results. Think about that for a minute. They were cleansing lepers. Do you know what leprosy looks like? Just look it up online. Just look at examples of leprosy on uh, Google Images or something like that. They actually cleansed the people. Not only did they heal them, but they removed all of that uh, stuff. It, think about if a leper was like missing fingers or toes or something. Um, when Jesus healed them, he didn't just like wipe away like the, the sores and left them like... Um, still maimed he made them whole meaning that he restored the parts that were missing both internally and externally i mean those were were magnific magnificent <coughs> supernatural miracles that were occurring matter of fact i've heard over the years testimonies of people who had incredible uh, miraculous um uh testimonies of being made whole one guy was a priest who had a uh, who was missing a foot, who had his entire foot restored. You know, we don't hear too much about that. And, and would you wonder why? I mean, the first thing that people hear when they they hear things like that, the average person, I don't believe that, or that's that's false, or that you know that's not really a true story. But sometimes people, when they if it's in the Bible, well, I I believe maybe it could have happened back then. But even with that, there's unbelief and doubt that really affect how people look at it. And let's see, where were we here? Okay, Matthew chapter 17. So getting back to this story, uh, you could see that, um, let me scroll back up here. It says, when, when verse 16, and I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him, th this is the first time that they experienced failure. And Jesus answered and said, listen to the first words out of his mouth. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? Isn't, isn't that something? Think about that statement. It seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Oh, faithless and perverse generation. If somebody said that today, if a preacher said that today, for example, if somebody was being prayed for by, a, a, um, uh, by some people and the person wasn't well, or the person maybe couldn't get up on a wheelchair, or the person was still blind or deaf, or whatever the case was, or if they had some kind of epileptic uh, fit, like we see here, and somebody did that, that person would be accused of being unloving, uncaring, and kind of cold and callous. Especially when it says this man came kneeling to Jesus. He, he had humbled himself. 
And Jesus' response was, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him here to me. Okay, now somebody will say, well, that was Jesus. He gets a pass. Well, think about this. That was God the Father inside of Jesus. Didn't Jesus say that? The Holy Spirit inside of Jesus? Anyway, let's not, let's not bog down. Let me keep going. It says, and Jesus rebuked the devil. And he, the devil, departed out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. Then when the disciples, uh, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? Think about that for a minute. Why couldn't we cast the devil out? And listen to Jesus' response. Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have a faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Howbeit this kind goeth out, not by prayer and fasting. It doesn't say that in the other Gospels. This is just an added bonus here. And, and for years, I used to hear that this was a reference to the demons, this kind of demon you have to pray, pray and fast. Have you ever prayed before? You probably have. Uh, you're not praying to demons, you're praying to God. Have you ever fasted before? What does fasting do? It lessens the influence that the body has on you. First time I ever fasted, um, some people might say this is cheating, but it was back in the uh, late 80s. And uh, I had come down with a sickness. Now, I believe that God heard and answered prayer at the time. I believed in that. And I prayed and I didn't see a result. And so I just naturally figured that, well, it's my fault, not God's will <clears throat> that I'd be sick. But it's my fault. I mean, even in the Old Testament, Psalm 103.3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, that's sins, and heals all thy diseases. Um, anyway, there's so many scriptures for healing. But again, not to bog down in any one point here. I want to get back to this point about unbelief. Why couldn't we cast him out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Because of your, if he didn't say anything else, that would have been enough. Because of your unbelief. So these men obviously had belief. They had faith because... They were able to do all of those things earlier. Jesus gave them power. They used the power to do all kinds of things. Heal uh, the sick, cleanse the lepers, even raise the dead. And so they were stumped at this one. Why couldn't we cast him out? And what was the first thing Jesus said in verse 17? Oh, faithless and perverse generation. Number two in verse 20, because of your unbelief. So when, when in verse 21... He says, how be it this kind go out not by prayer and fasting. It makes a lot more sense that he was talking about unbelief and not by a demon. In other words, this kind of unbelief comes out not by prayer and fasting. The kind of unbelief that kept you from being able to cast out this demon. Now just let that sink in for a minute. What if, it's, what if that kind is referring to unbelief and not the demon? How be it this kind goeth not out but by prayer and, and by fasting. Because there's no other parts in the Bible where it gives us instructions about the different kinds of demons. And so basically, you would be left in the dark about whether you should be praying and fasting for this kind of demon and not praying and fasting for the other kind. Or do you just go by when something doesn't come out, then you got to do the prayer and fasting. In other words, 
this brings down everything from simple childlike faith into this intellectual debate where we try and fill in the missing pieces. And you know, sometimes when we try and fill in the missing pieces, we put the wrong piece in there. It's kind of like making a wrong turn early in the journey, and then it takes you completely off course later on down the road. And so, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about this over the years because there have been times that I've prayed and I've seen results. I've had um, growths disappear overnight after praying for a while. And originally I was taught how to pray from a, a book that I read about the topic of faith in which the person who wrote the book said that if you ask God according to his will once, there's no need to keep on asking. After that, you just thank God that he heard you, right? Because John says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have the petitions desired of thee. And so uh, Jesus also taught what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, you'll have them. All things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Mark eleven twenty four, Matthew twenty one twenty one, and so the the mechanical way I learned <coughs> was to ask once, and then all subsequent prayers after you ask were prayers of thanksgiving. There's no need to ask God for the same thing over and over again because if you ask according to His will, He hears you. And then of course the arguments came in. Well, what's the will of God and what's not the will of God? And I can go back over the years and see instances where I received healing immediately and times when it happened with persistent prayer by persistent meaning i just didn't forget about it but even then it was tough it was hard sometimes especially when like for instance the the last time i prayed about something that was uh i had a um cyst on my um left wrist and i think i when i say prayed about it I mean, I asked God to heal it. I spoke to it in Jesus' name. I thank God for it. You know, I, I rebuked the devil and told him to leave in Jesus' name. And I did a combination of those things for four years. And during those four years, I almost wanted to give up sometimes and say, what's up with this? And, and I looked for all kinds of reasons why it wasn't happening. I, first of all, I looked at at. at Maybe I wasn't believing strong enough, but you know, the Bible says it's only a mustard seed of faith. And I was trying to believe harder or trying to be more sincere, but it just didn't seem to be working. And I try and try and try and give up, but I could never give up 100%. I always came back to it again. And then finally, I got to the point where after four years of dealing with something on and off, it, it can become mentally fatiguing. It can, it can get you to the point where you don't even want to bother with it anymore but, you know, the scripture that's always kept me going was um, the Bible says, if any, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if any man turn back, uh, my soul has no pleasure in thee. So in other words, turning back, if there's such a thing of something that puts a frown on God's faith, it's giving up and, and giving up your faith, not seeing it through to the end. And so, yeah, you might. Maybe you can make the argument that I gave up for maybe a month here and a month there, but I would always come back to it again. And it's kind of like, I, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm the most patient guy in the world. <clears throat> in other words, if you put a puzzle in front of me, like um, a literal puzzle, if I get caught in it, I don't, 
and, and I can't find the next piece or I can't find what the word is to write in, whatever kind of puzzle it is, after a while, it's not an enjoyable game anymore and I don't want to keep playing it. And that's how I, I deal with a lot of things. But when it comes to prayer, I've learned not to do prayer like that. I've, ne- I've learned not to approach prayer like that. And Jesus made statements such as pray that God's will be done on earth even as it is in heaven, which suggests to me that God's will isn't automatically done. And many other scriptures, such as uh, God's not willing that uh, any should perish, but we know broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction. That means many people are living outside of God's perfect will. And so I made a commitment to do my best to find God's perfect will. I have to be honest with you, I found it to be a very frustrating, from a, as a human person, that human side of me, I found it to be very frustrating. I can see why the Bible says that flesh and blood aren't going to inherit the kingdom of heaven, why we have to leave this body behind, because it gives us signals and feelings that contradict what the Bible say, and sometimes those feelings and what we see seems more real than what's written in the Bible, even though that part of us on the inside, the part has been regenerated, the part where God lives, knows that it knows that God is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But, but here's the thing. Earlier, in the early days, I didn't even know how to seek God for myself. I know what other people did. And I heard other people saying things, oh, I'd be praying all night or I'd be fasting. Back to my fasting story, I never finished it. Um, I had this um, sore, infected throat, which made it difficult to eat food or drink liquids. And so I thought this would be a great time to experiment with fasting. And so I said, Lord, I'm going to fast and just drink a little water. And I know that the temptation to eat is somewhat curbed because of the pain of eating uh, and swallowing. Even water was painful. And um, I said, I'm going to choose to do a fast during this time and seek you instead. And so I spent, I, I believe it was about seven days not eating, just drinking a little water. And uh, during that time, I remember how the effect of my physical body on me, as far as doubt and unbelief goes, how I was able to internally transcend it. In other words, my physical feelings and the physical thoughts lost their power over my inner spirit man, over the inner man. Inside, I believe that God it was, and I, it also felt like if such a thing is true, like the veil was, was growing thin, like the... the the wall between myself and eternity was thinning. And I could see glimpses of what was on the other side, even though I wasn't dying. It was all the less impact on my body from the from not eating. And and that's what I can talk about fasting from that perspective, from that experience. And it was incredible because I remember at the time I was um, changing the TV channels in my room and I had a little TV in my room and... Um, they had one of the channels had these girls like dancing with like these bikinis on barely having any clothes and i remember looking at that and having zero temptation and thinking wow this is incredible it's like the i don't even feel any temptation i could just keep on turning the channels it wasn't hard to do it was like the power of the body had lost its um had lost its effect And so I experienced fasting firsthand, what it can do there of not eating and not just fasting. It's not just not eating, 
but praying and being in God's word at the same time. It was just an amazing experience. And so when, uh, when Jesus says this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting, I see exactly what he means. That kind of unbelief, I felt like I could believe anything. And at that point, I was able to believe that I had received my healing, and I did. I got better. Now, you could say you would have got better anyway because I was on medication at the time. And it wasn't until after that that I had to repeat the same thing. Uh, my prayer experiment, you might want to say, is um, I threw out my medicine with a, um, with a chronic problem that I had. And I prayed the prayer of faith according to what I had learned, according to the new light that I had. And after I received my healing, it miraculously happened. All those lumps disappeared off my finger overnight after thanking God for about three months. And I got a new job that I had prayed for, the exact kind of job. And I thought, well, I got it. I got the recipe. I know exactly how this works. And the next time I tried to do just the same thing, I went through the same motions, said the same words. I didn't get a result. That's an interesting thing at the time. I didn't realize this, but back in the Old Testament, when God fed the Israelites in the wilderness during their time of testing with manna, Uh, They can only gather manna for one day. They couldn't store the manna they had on Monday and eat it on Tuesday. It would go bad. And that was symbolic of, it's the same thing with God's word. You have faith for today, but you can't take the faith that got you a miracle in in the past or that resulted in answer prayer in the the past and mechanically replicate it. It has to be fresh. It has to be alive. It has to be vital for, for today. And one of the things I didn't realize, too, was that the unbelief that was affecting me in the past wasn't necessarily the unbelief that was affecting me now. If these men who had lived 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year could have unbelief physically being with Jesus, then how much more could I have unbelief resulting in lack of answers, lack of results here and now today? So I ask yourself the question again, what would a complete victory look like in your life? How many things are you settling for in your life that aren't in the will of God, that aren't victorious? And and I'm not even talking about victory in the extreme. Like I'm not saying that if you're poor, financially speaking, that you have to live in a a castle, you know, that's worth $10 million. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the victory, getting the victory. And not being in wanting for nothing. Right? Don't we see that in the Bible where people are wanting for nothing? So if you're wanting for something, that that is a surefire sign that God's perfect will has not yet been manifested in your life. That you're going through a test and a trial. And, and God, you know, the devil may put trials on our way to destroy us, but God sees it as an opportunity to defeat his adversary, to defeat our adversary. It's a, it's like it's like the athlete. You're out there. You're on the field of play. It's like the warrior. You're out there to defeat the enemy in real time in in each battle to come out of it victoriously. And so that's when I started realizing that you could have faith and unbelief at the same time. The disciples had it. That man, the the father of the young boy, had it. Right? What did he say? I believe. Help thou my unbelief. But how many times do we approach God like, Lord, if you can do anything? What this tells me is 
is that Jesus' words ring truer now than they ever have when he said in the Gospel of John that without me, I am the vine, you are the branches, and without me you can do nothing. And as tempting as it is to give up on certain things, I can, you know, I'm not going to go into the details of every little test and trial that I'm facing right now, but I just want to be, I can be honest with you, right? I, I just want to say there's certain things that I get really tempted to give up on because when I think about it from a natural standpoint, I don't see getting over certain speed bumps. It just, I, I can't picture how it will happen. But that's when I realized that the inability to picture how it will happen is in itself unbelief. Right, because God is all of those three things that we mentioned earlier. Now abides these three: faith, hope, and love. Um, hope is, is the vision of a positive outcome. Without hope, um, what 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 does the Bible say happens without hope? Jeremiah uh, twenty nine eleven says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the the Lord, "plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future." Hope is a vision of a positive outcome. Faith is the substance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith gives assurance to things hoped for, but hope is that vision. And I'm thinking, how many times does God? start with the end in mind. God says, let there be light and let the earth bring forth. And you can go back to the book of Genesis and see all of this. Even then when God begins to deal with uh, us as individuals, he says to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. He starts with the end in mind, right? The end is the hope. He starts with that end vision, that end result. I have made you the father of many nations. He says to the Israelite armies, I have delivered the enemy into your hands. Um, it says in the New Testament that God uh, quickens the dead and give and calls those things which be not as though they were. He starts with the end in the beginning. And I realize that how many times in prayer that I started with the end in mind. And how much easier it was to hold on to that vision, to hold on to that faith, to, to endure. But when I start with the present in mind, then I'm starting with the lack. I'm starting with the sickness. I'm starting with the problem. And, and that, that problem feeds unbelief. Yes, you have faith. Yes, you believe that all things are possible with God. Yes, you're not praying because you don't believe somebody's on the other side of that prayer listening. The fact that you're even praying and asking for help shows that you have faith. And so, you know, we don't realize the effect that unbelief has in our lives and has in our individual circumstances. And a lot of times, because religion has done this to us, we just, you know, we just shrug off our beliefs to, well, I guess it's not God's will. Or I guess there's something in my life that I have to clean up. And whenever we put the focus back on ourselves, what happens? What happens? Fear, fear is present. Because if I have to perform, if prayer is a performance and it's all on me, then, then I'm right back under the law again. I'm right back under the writing of commandments. Right? It says, by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. Forgiveness is a gift of God. Healing is a gift of God. All of the blessings of Abraham are all gifts of God. We can't earn them. But yet sometimes in prayer, it feels like you're trying to do just that. 
It's you're trying to earn by showing God that you're believing and not doubting. And the harder you try to believe, sometimes the more frustrating it can become. And so this is one of the things that I've learned again and in a new and deeper way over the past several months was that um, without the vision, without that end result in my heart, if I don't start with the end in mind, then it's even more difficult to pray, to believe, and to keep on believing until the victory actually comes to pass in the visible world around me. Let me look up some more. Let's look up some other scriptures here on um, on hope. Okay, perhaps this one is my favorite. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 12, where it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's like a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When people are hopeless, they can't see themselves winning. They can't see the victory. And, you know, I learned this earlier on in my, um, in my life. And I remember people back at the time, this was a controversial subject. People talked about visualizing yourself with the answer, visualizing yourself well, having that vision in your heart. And because this is such a prominent part of different types of um, cults and um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess back then it was referred to a lot as New Age. It was kind of like a New Age teaching. Um, and, and now over the years, I've come to to two conclusions. Number one, um, a lot of people take all of the principles from the Bible and then they remove God. And then they remove Jesus. And um, I'm not trying to separate God and Jesus, of course. I'm just giving you an example. They, re they remove God from the equation and they put themselves there. And they remove Jesus from the equation and take away the need for forgiveness of sin. And they just use the principles like death and life being in the power of the tongue and believe you receive it, that, you know, visualizing and seeing the answer before it happens. And they use that and they put all of the pressure to do those things on themselves. And I guess that's what I'm talking about when we talk about manipulation, we talk about new age and, and that kind of a thing. But yet you you cannot, the, the principle is there. The principle is there in the, in the Bible. It's just that, um, and, and now let me throw another thought in here. Over the years, I've um, looked at different uh, preachers' lives and seen their outcome. One of the nice things about looking at somebody like Jesus in the Bible or the Apostle Paul or one of these people is they've already run their course. They've already kept the faith. They've already left the field of play, so to speak. But sometimes, you know, it's nice to have a contemporary person to look up to as, well, here's an example of a man or woman that has really lived out like, like our other biblical examples Right. And it's it's all we're all in Christ. Right. I mean, it doesn't make any difference what generation or what year or what time or era that you lived in. It's still, it's still the same spirit. And so one of the things that I noticed was that in from the 80s forward, and I guess I would say from the 60s, if you look back at church history, but there was a lot of emphasis put on knowledge and knowing. So the, the, the good thing about knowledge is for if you have a lack of knowledge, you can perish. So, for example, if we want to look at unbelief, there's different kinds of unbelief. 
They're not all the same. That's why Jesus says this kind doesn't come out but by prayer or fasting. But the uh, apostles didn't have the kind of unbelief that comes from not knowing what the will of God was. They knew what the will of God was, and they didn't take it as their failure as an example that it wasn't God's will for that boy to be healed of epilepsy, of the demon to be cast out of him. They didn't take the lack of results as it just being the will of God. They asked Jesus, how come it didn't work for us? They wanted to know why it didn't work, and they got their answer. He said, oh, faithless generation, when, I, when he first got there, and he said, because of your unbelief. So their unbelief was based on what they were seeing. That's one kind of unbelief. So you can know the will of God, but what you see overrides what the Bible says, meaning that it feels like what you're seeing is more powerful than what the scriptures say. It feels like what you're seeing and experiencing is more powerful than the name of Jesus, and that becomes your vision. That becomes what dominates your heart. And there are examples of this in the Bible. We see that God told Abraham to look at the stars by night. And just as numerous as those stars are, so shall your seed be. And he said to look at the sand, the, the grains of the sand in the daytime. And, and he gave, God gave Abraham something to look at to fill his heart with a different kind of vision. Even so, it took Abraham, it was many years after, from between when the promise was given until when it came. And you could say, well, Abraham also had to deal with unbelief because he tried to make God's word work through his own effort. He went in with his maidservant, uh, Hagar, and had a child through her. He tried to do it in his own strength. I think everybody here knows what it's like to, you know, you hear what God says, you know what the Bible says, you've prayed, and it's not happening. You try and kind of help it along by doing yourself. And oftentimes we make things even worse. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by God's spirit. Yet, when I learned about that principle of the visualization, um, and there's other examples of it in the Bible. Uh, one of it was, another one is Jacob and um, his uncle Laban, when he had to produce the spotted, spotted and speckled um, animals, he, he carved spots and speckles into these rods and put them where they were feeding and people say, look at scriptures like that and say, why did he do that? Well, it, it wasn't the rods that caused the animals to, uh, the clear-coated animals to have spotted and speckled sheep. I, I don't want to go into that, but it was just another word. It, it was helping his faith, helping his vision by him doing that. You can go read about that. But I guess what I want to say is that um, once I learned about that principle of visualizing, I put all the pressure on myself to, to picture a positive outcome. And uh, let me tell you something. I found that it was hard to see myself well. It was hard to see myself prosperous. It was hard to do all those things. And whenever I was doing those things, it kind of felt like I was forgetting about God. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like you learn a truth, but then if you take God out of it, then you're just left with a another work, just another vain thing that you're trying to put your effort to. And what I learned is, is that all of the things that we're told to do in the Bible, the reality of the situation is we need God's help to do it. We can't just create our own visions and dreams and pray around them. We have to be opened to let the Holy Spirit change our inner picture, change our inner image. It's not enough to just sit around and try and imagine something that is a, different than what it is. It takes a lot of effort, and some people have a better imagination than others, and I thought to myself, 
well, you know, I did this and it didn't work. But yet, but yet, there were times when, you know, here's an example. <clears throat> I told you an example of the cyst that had my wrist. I prayed four years. The, the last month before it manifested, my inner image, image had changed. And why did it take four years? Could have taken less time? I believe it could have. I just believe that because I occasionally stopped giving the effort, meaning I wasn't really seeking God or it wasn't important to me or I got distracted, um, it took a little bit longer. Whereas if I would have, and I don't want to say it like from a human putting your effort into it, I'm just saying if I had focused on the truth more than I had focused on the situation, then the inner, what was happening in my heart would have happened sooner, if that makes any sense. I know it sounds a little bit convoluted, and I'm trying to do my best to explain a, a spiritual truth. So I guess I could boil it down to saying that um, God starts with the end in mind. He starts with the picture of victory, which is why God doesn't have any upset days. God's not nervous about anything. Whatever Jesus faced when he, when he came and Lazarus was already dead, what did he say before he raised Lazarus from the dead? Father, I thank you that you've already heard me. I thank you that you've heard me. Past tense, he started with the end in mind. He already saw Lazarus in his heart as raised from the dead. He didn't try and, I don't think, will the picture, will the image. He just knows that, that God always starts with victory in mind. God doesn't see problems. He just sees answers. And when we see problems, that translates into unbelief. And And... A lot of times, the only way we can see past the problem and see the answer is by focusing our heart and our energy on God to the best of our ability. And sometimes that may take some time to do. I had um, a growth on my head that um, had, I was told, looked kind of cancerous, and I felt it there when I was combing my hair. And it was red and, and kind of harsh looking, I was told. And um, when, when somebody else points something out to you like that, it's a little harder to just pretend like it's not there. And so I remember going in the shower that day and, and, and um, Lori, my significant other, said to me that this is something that you can't mess with, that you're going to have to, if, if I know you're going to pray, but if something doesn't happen soon, we can't just pretend it's not there. That's what she said to me. And I remember going into the shower and committing in my heart that it's quite possible that this thing is cancer. It's a cancerous growth on my head. It's quite possible. And if it is cancer, it's not something that I can um, play with. But I didn't say that from a standpoint that I'm going to risk it all by praying instead of going to a doctor. And that's not the kind of risk I'm talking about. I'm talking about in my heart, I can't play with it. That this prayer has to be as serious as any other prayer I've ever prayed, as any prayer I've ever prayed in my life. That this prayer can literally be the uh, lighting of the of the fuse of either life or death. And I took it with that kind of seriousness, and I said, "Lord, you know, I just want to tell you that I can't touch my head every day. I have to get my eyes off of this problem and onto you." And so. I have to refuse to touch it. I have to refuse to look at it. And I have to focus completely on the scriptures, which say, you took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. You forgive all um, 
my iniquities, you heal all my diseases. Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord that healeth thee, I change not. Uh, you know, Second Peter 2, 24, by his stripes we are healed. And I mean, just all of those scriptures put together, if we ask anything according to his will, and I had to look at it, it was life and death. Life, this is life and death. I committed to it. That that's what I was dealing with. And so I prayed, and when I said amen, I committed to the fact that I was now healed, and I had peace in my heart. And seven or eight days later, <coughs> Lori asked to uh, come over and sit down, and I did, and she asked me to bend my head forward, and she went in there looking for it. And I hadn't even thought about it, really, after I prayed. I was just like I had barricaded myself in, in a room of faith, hope, and love, and refused to peek out to see what was what was there. And it was completely gone. And she kept looking and looking and looking and looking. And, and she was just amazed that it was completely gone. I wasn't amazed. But I knew in my heart that that was God. I knew in my heart that that was God. And it was God that gave me the, the vision of victory. Not me trying to work it up. It was God. And, but what was what was me? The part that was me was I was committed. I was committed to keep my eyes on Jesus with all that was within me. and But I knew that all that was within me may not or wasn't enough. In other words, without me, like Jesus said, you can do nothing. So I can compare that to the episode where I prayed for my wrist and it took me all of that time. And I can just go on and on about different things over the years. I prayed for. And uh, you just have to be that serious and that committed to praying and believing God for whatever it is. Now, uh, again, some things we don't have to deal with any unbelief. We can just pray and boop, it's there. The answer's there or or the situation changes overnight and we feel encouraged. But then other times we pray and nothing seems to happen and we get discouraged and we question our beliefs. We question if we're really believing, but let's take a look at some scriptures because this problem is not something that is unique to you or I. It's been there right from the beginning. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse number, um, let's start verse number 2. It says, excuse me, for us, the gospel was preached as well as to them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith with them that heard it. Verse number three, for we which have believed do enter into rest. As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So in other words, when you believe you enter into rest. And I can look back on my life and see when unbelief has kept me from entering into rest. I can look back at that situation with the growth on my head and say that after I said amen, I immediately entered into God's rest. And seven days later, I saw the result. I can look back at the situation with the cyst on my wrist. And these are just two quick examples. I can give you men. I I can be here for a while because I've been doing this for 34 years. I'm just giving you the most recent where I prayed for four years and, and I had unrest every time I looked down and saw that lump. 
And, you know, we can go into different reasons why sometimes we have unrest and sometimes we don't. But I think the bottom line is it all comes down. It all comes down to the individual. Right. We need fresh manna for a new day. We need fresh hope for today. Tomorrow's hope has already been used up. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 11 says, Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So un unbelief results also in falling. Remember what Jesus says? This kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. Let us labor. In other words, it takes an effort to enter into God's rest. So maybe it took me four years because I was just kind of kind of sort of praying about it because it wasn't a critical situation to enter into God's rest and see the example. You can't fake rest. You, you really can't. And one of the things I noticed is that when there's unbelief and unrest, right? What's the example? What's the opposite of rest? Unrest. When I think about a, a trial, a test or something that's wrong in my life and I have unrest when that thought enters into my heart. Then I am I, in my heart. I have the vision of what is, not what will be. I'm not starting with the end in mind. I'm starting with the present, right? God calls those things which don't exist as though they did. The good news is, you can't do that with your own effort. That used to be the bad news. I look at it as the good news now, because if I have to create my own belief, if I have to create my own confidence, if I have to will myself. Into a from unbelief into belief, then all of the pressure is on me. But the truth is, as human beings, we are all wonderfully inconsistent, and so for each test, for each trial, sometimes the it requires us more labor than others to get to that place where we enter into rest. It requires more labor than others, more focus than others, than other times until we have that vision of victory replacing the, the vision of what is or the vision of the problem. Let's look at a few other um, scriptures. Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 12 says it this way. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in you, in you, in any of you, that is. Take heed, brethren, lest in any of you there be a heart of evil unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief is what the King James Version says in departing from the living God. Faithless and perverse generation, faithless and unbelieving is what Jesus basically said. God looks at unbelief and doubt as evil. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. That doesn't mean he won't forgive you. But you can't embrace unbelief and defeat in your life and make God happy. <laughs> Let's put it like that. Unbelief causes us to depart from the living God. And that's what every single person within the sound of my voice needs right now in your own life circumstance. You need the living God to manifest whatever it is that you have need of, whether it's health or finances, whether it's mental, whether it's social, whatever it is. Maybe it's a combination of many different things that once you get to the place where you recognize that, you know, what God is not saying yes and no to his promises. God is not saying, oh, well, you know, wait till later. It's our own unbelief that gets in the way. He, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Sometimes it's seeing it on the paper or hearing it preached or just hearing it imparted to you by the Holy Spirit while you're in a time of quiet. 
faith comes, but it takes effort, right? It takes effort to look to God and to keep trusting him in the midst of when we see the exact opposite types of things happening. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's another kind of unbelief. Some people don't know that God wants to help them. Some people don't know that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Some people don't know what the word of God says. But what does it say here? Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I also will reject thee. Hang on to the promises of God day by day by day. Another kind of unbelief is just fear. You know, the Bible says in um, Philippians 4, 6, don't fret or have anxiety about anything. When you have anxiety in your heart, it's because you have that vision of what is. You have that vision of loss. You have that vision of deceit, of deceit, defeat. <laughs> deceit, yeah, that would go in there too. Right? You're, be you're being deceived that God is not almighty and not all powerful. Right? Some, some people think that the devil is just this huge, powerful being. But if he was that powerful, you'd be dead already. Right? He is definitely God's enemy. He's definitely the enemy to God's people. But the Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, don't fret or be anxious about anything. But all things make your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding <clears throat> shall keep your hearts and minds. You can overcome unbelief by focusing on the scriptures to talk about the love of God. So, um... One of the things, and, and finally, I would, be, I would be remiss not to read this one. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. You know, according to what a lot of people say today, there is variableness in God because God does some things right away for some people and then he makes other people wait. God does uh, answer some people's prayers and other people. Now, we're not talking about like things like somebody prayed that they want $10 million by the end of the week. I'm just talking about simple things that pertain to life and godliness. We're just talking about your needs being met and you having more. Prosperity is having more than you need. It's great that if you have what you need, but God wants you to go take the next step now. Have more than you need because unless you have more than you need, you can't give it to somebody else who's in need. If you have just enough food for today, as great as that is, you're still not in a position to have to give to somebody who doesn't have any food. Right? And that's where the principle of faith and giving comes. Given it shall be given unto you again. But anyway, there's no variableness of God, neither shadow of turning. Why does it why does that phrase exist in the Bible? Because a lot of our false beliefs tell us otherwise. A lot of false beliefs says, yeah, God is, you don't know if God's going to help or not. I mean, think about this for a minute. If, if um, you asked me to come to your house and help you on a project next Wednesday at 12 p.m. and I showed up, right, helped you, and then you said the next Wednesday, can you come at the same time? And I did. And then suddenly I start missing every other week. Sometimes I show up to work, sometimes I don't. What kind of confidence would you have in me? The next time that you need help, would I be the first person that you called on? But yet, because people believe this about God, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, then what happens is prayer becomes kind of like a last resort because we base our experience on what really was our own unbelief in full manifestation and not the personality of God and not the will of God on display. 
<coughs> sometimes we think whatever happens is just the will of God, even though we voiced a prayer for help. If no help came, then it must have been because God didn't want to come. Or, you know, you get real religious and think, well, because I haven't been reading or praying or fasting or doing all of these other things. And we look at those things from a work perspective, from like an earning. You know, if I put enough dollars in the bank, then I can finally buy that thing that I want. Whereas Jesus has already paid for everything that we need. It already belongs to us. But now we have to fight the good fight of faith and we have to labor. So let me leave you with this. This is what I decided to do <clears throat> last year. Excuse me, my throat's getting a little bit dry. I went to the store. I bought one of those one subject notebooks, small notebooks. It has about 80 sheets of paper in it. It's about eight inches by five inches, spiral bound. And in it, I put the prayers for uh, that I had for loved ones and some things for myself in here. And I wrote the whole petition out, just like an attorney uh, presenting their case to a judge. I wrote everything down, the scriptures that covered the prayer, that covered my case, that covered the will of God, that covered forgiveness and mercy and grace and all of the things that would lead to a positive end result. I just wrote it all down. And I don't want you to think that I made it um, difficult. For example, uh, there was a scripture here that, I'm pray that I've prayed for somebody in my family for arthritis, I used 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. I used Luke 13, 16, the woman that was bowed over with that crippling arthritis as the example of God healing somebody with that problem. I used scriptures such as the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made uh, my family member free from the law of sin and death. I used Isaiah 55, 11. This is, so shall the word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, which I was, that's what I was doing, returning God's word in prayer. I also used that he that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead shall also quicken my uh, relative's mortal body by the spirit that dwelleth in him. I also used James 5, 16. This is pray for one another that you may be healed. And then the fact that I was interceding for somebody else, I used Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, which says, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedges to stand in the gap uh, before me. And then finally, if I ask anything according to God's will, which all of those previous scriptures covered, and I, that argument was as much for me as it was for God, because I look at it like this. God doesn't need to be convinced. I do. God doesn't need to be convinced to help anybody. But if we're going to be the conduit, if we're the prayer, if we are the minister, remember it, when Jesus healed the young epileptic boy, what if he hadn't been there? Then the disciples probably would have left and that boy would have been in that situation still. And they probably would have left with the question, why couldn't we heal him? Why didn't it work for us? And maybe they would have had to come back on a different day when they had dealt with their unbelief. It's just a thought. And so I've done this for several prayers, for, for healing, for loved ones, for relationships. Um, and I went person by person. I wrote out the prayer. So right now I have, let's see, and I even have one for me, one or two for me in here. So I have one, two, three, four, five, six. Six things that I have in this notebook. I keep it now by my keyboard. I, I bring it and have it by the bedside at night. 
And throughout the day, I go over these. I go over these, and it's almost like God's word works like a medicine. Yes, God heard me the first time that I prayed, but I have to renew it in my own heart. Yes, I've prayed. Yes, God has heard me. Yes, the the powers of darkness are broken. And every time I go over this, it's almost like a little more unbelief leaves me. And the easier it's becoming to see victory in each of these cases, in each of these situations. This is what it means for me when it says in Hebrews 11, let us labor to enter into God's rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Because when we enter into rest, when that connection with God is complete, whether it takes days, months, or or longer, then we get to see the will of God manifested in the world around us, just like Jesus taught his disciples. And sometimes it'll be one, two, three, boom, it's done. But for the times it isn't, there's no need to give up. There's no need to get discouraged. Instead, the labor begins. The effort begins. But it begins with the knowing that the Holy Spirit is here to help us. We're not doing this on our own. We're not doing this in our own strength. He's there to help us get to that place where suddenly we know that we know that we know that we have the victory. It's hard to put into logical terms sometimes. It's hard to make a formula out of it. Just know that on some days the labor may require more effort in your heart than others. On some days it may feel like you're losing, but there is no giving up. Remember what the Bible says about without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that's how we diligently seek him. By in our heart, in our mind, with our mouths. And the easiest, most practical way I found to do this is to write down these prayers. Keep them in a notebook. And it's not a formula. I, I, don't, I can't stress it enough. It's not a formula. It's just what we give our time and attention to on the inside determines what our life and what the lives of others begins to look like on the outside. Anyway, I hope you have really been blessed by this. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This is Jim. Have a great rest of your day. Be blessed, and I will see you again next time.